You know, it's kind of neat to be uh, involved with something beginning, and this is our second service that we've had at 11, and we're glad that you're here, glad you've come. Uh, some folks stay for both services because they need it so bad, and so, but, but we're glad that you're here and thankful uh, what the Lord is doing, and it's a blessing to me uh, to see our young people up there and Corey, and <laughs> youngish, youngish. And uh, we're so thankful to see him serve the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm excited when kids serve in God, aren't y'all? I'm thrilled about that and thank the Lord for them and all. We're in, second, we're in the book of Revelation chapter 2, and today we're dealing with uh, confusion. The church in, uh, in Pergamos was confused. Um, confusion is a terrible thing. Uh, I have a brother, my older brother has dementia. Uh, he's in the latter stages of dementia, and... Uh, He's, uh, it's very difficult to communicate with him. He's very confused, and uh, we try to share things, and it's hard for him to get it out. And, and, uh, and, I, and you that have family that is going through something like that, you know how heartbreaking that is. I mean, my older brother, and, uh, and we, uh, I try to get over there as much as I possibly can. But, you know, I was thinking about as awful as that is, and it is awful, and, and uh, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, my uh, sister-in-law, last week and it uh it's getting worse and and uh, you that have this in your family i i just uh it's a tough thing to go through i know and uh but as difficult as it is what would be to me would be really sad is that with jim if there's something we could do to clear the confusion up and didn't do it you know what i'm saying i mean it's awful what he's going through is awful it's heartbreaking and i just you know i i i, I well you know what i'm talking about you've gone through it but if, if there was something I could give him or something I could do and, and didn't do that, that'd almost, that would be, that'd be atrocity, wouldn't it? Not to be able to help him clear up the confusion. Well, you know, what's sad, I see people today when it comes to the things of God, and we see particularly here in Revelation chapter 2, this Pergamus church was very confused. And, uh, but the thing about this particular problem, it could be taken care of. I mean, it could be handled. You may have walked in here this morning a bit confused. Uh, maybe you're dealing with some spiritual areas. Maybe you're dealing with some family things. Uh, you're a little bit confused about what's going on. And, uh, and I understand that. But I'm so thankful that we don't have to stay that way that can be handled. Uh, in this study that we're dealing in with uh, the studies here in uh, Revelation chapter 2, we're kind of taking a tour, if you will. And what's happening is that we're learning some things on growth and change. Uh, you say, well, how, how old do you have to be that you quit growing? Uh, I think as long as you're alive, you should be growing, amen? I mean, as long as you're, you're alive, you should be vital. You should be uh, effective. You should be productive. I mean, I believe if God left us here, he left us here to make a difference. God wants us to make a difference. I, I'm not interested in simply taking up space. I believe God has left me here for a particular purpose, and I believe God has left you here for a particular purpose, not just simply taking up space, but being productive. God wants you to do that. Uh, as he was dealing with these churches and it's interesting as he was talking about them and a church in Ephesus uh, was a tremendous church I mean a busy church an active church and as you read the word of God there in Revelation 2 you'll find that God talks about this church and says man you guys are doing some great things here it's wonderful what you're doing 
but uh, he said, I got something against you here that I want to talk about, and that's you lost your first love. You've left it. You got so involved. And you know, that's easy to do even in relationships. We get so busy that we forget why we're doing what we're doing. We wonder, why am I continually doing these things and all? And so he kind of said, you need to get this thing straightened out. And the way you get it straightened out is that you fall back in love with me. Do you realize love's a choice? You know that, don't you? It's always funny to me when I hear folks, oh, I just fell out of love. You didn't fall out of love. You chose to quit loving. Love is a choice. And so what the Lord is saying to the church at Ephesus, you need to fall back in love with me. And maybe that's something we need to talk about this morning. Maybe you've come here and you've gone through the motions and you're playing the game called church. And you know when to smile, you know when to talk, but the love and the passion is not there anymore. And you, you, know, you ought to have it. You need the passion when it comes to this thing of loving the Lord. He said to them, you need to be put me first. That was the lesson. The second church we talked about uh, was the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a church that was suffering. And I almost asked the question, how many of you have ever suffered? But <laughs> most of you are married, aren't you? Anyway, no, no, no. And <laughs> back off that, back that up. But, uh, but you know, uh, this world, there's difficulty and problems. And if you, if you have children or grandchildren or whatever, I mean, you know, there's some difficulties. And you really hate to see and go through these things. And, and the church of Smyrna was suffering. And, and the problem with suffering, if you're not careful, is that you focus on the pain and you focus on the suffering. And, and almost everything else is blocked out. You can't think of every, anything else because of what you're going through, the suffering and problems you're facing. And so you can become very selfish if you're not careful. And what the Lord said to this church, he said, you need to look up and look ahead. You need to look up to him, look up to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, and look ahead. It's wonderful to realize that these things are going to pass, aren't you? I'm excited about that. Now, I'm not excited about going through problems. I don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what I need is some problems. I just need a real dose of pain today. I don't wake up doing that, no. I, I don't want, although I do always, as you get more mature, you always wake up in pain. You all a little bit older understand me, don't you? It's not that we don't have, it's just that we have something different kind of a pain. But he says that we need to look up and look ahead. Then he, we, we're in the Smyrna church, or Pergamos church, verse 12, you want to turn there. And we see this, and to the angel, verse 12 of chapter 2 of Revelation, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, these things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. It's speaking about the word of God. Now, the thing we're dealing with here is how do you clear up the confusion? It would be nice to be able to say, quit being confused. <laughs> Sorry, it didn't work that way. There's some things that we have to do. And the first thing we find here in verse 12, this two-edged sword is speaking of the word of God. And one of the things, how you deal with truth is with a standard. What is the standard? What is the thing you're standing on? And that is the word of God. Uh, God's word is our standard. Hebrews 4.12, it, it's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And so we need to stand on the word of God. We need to read the word of God. We need to memorize the word of God. We need, you know, a lot of people say, well, I believe the Bible. But you never read the Bible. How do you know what you believe? You need to get in the Word of God and study the Word of God. This is one of the ways that we can, can move forward in clearing up the confusion in our life. Truth has a way of clearing up the confusion. So we need to do that. And we see as we move on to verse 13, I know thy works. You know, he says that several times here in the book of Revelation, particularly in chapter 2 and 3, I know thy works. The reason he says that is this, I know thy works. He knows what we're going through. There's nothing that you're facing this morning that he's not aware of. 
Uh, has it ever occurred to you it's never occurred to God? Uh, you know, you, hey, sometimes, have you ever talked to someone and you share something with them and they're, they are amazed about what you're saying? God is never that way. Isn't that cool? I, I don't come talk to God and God says, I don't know what you're talking about. Get back with me on that. No, not at all. God does know. He knows our works. He is aware of all these kind of things going on in our life. I know that works. Verse 13 says, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Satan's seat was in Pergamos. And thou holdest fast my name. What a great church this was. And hast not denied my faith. Wow. Even in those days when Antipasus was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelled. Twice he says Satan is there. And in this difficult hard place they were standing firm on the word of god my must be commended you know i think sometimes we don't spend enough time when people do right to talk about that you know what i'm saying people make some right moves we need to encourage folks that are doing right and doing the good things well this church was in a very difficult place and yet we see they were standing but look at verse 14 but i have a few things against thee it's almost god says to us can we talk I want to share some things with you. There's some things that we need to talk about, and I, you know, I need to share some things and talk to you about some things, so here they are. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, Balaam it was a man of God. He was a prophet of God, rather. Uh, what's sad about this guy is the, is the next phrase, who taught Balak, who was the king of Moab, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Verse 15, So thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which things I hate. And what we talked about uh, last week was not only do we respect the authority of God's word, we need to recognize the danger of a lie. Lies are never right. I heard someone say, I think I mentioned it uh, last week to you guys, that uh, if you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. I think that to me is so true. You have to figure out what did I, you know, what did I tell that person? Well, if you told the truth, you don't have to re rethink this situation tonight. And so what God is saying to these guys here in Pergamos, even though you're doing a good job, and I know it's tough, but you're standing, but you're getting ready to believe some lies are going to mess you up. You need to be careful about that. Very three quick, very quick lies. Satan's popular lie was that why don't we just fit in? Just include everybody. And, you know, sometimes you, it's difficult. You, you don't want to feel like you're odd or you're weird or whatever type situation. You just want to fit in. You, you, know, you want to include everybody. But the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Not a lot of options there, is there? You know, hey, here's the deal, guys. If, if everybody is just simply included, then why did God send Jesus? And why did Jesus die on a cross? And why did Jesus shed his blood if, if it wasn't needed? It had to behoove us to believe that it was needed. And so this popular lie, why don't you fit in, is what it is. It's a lie. It's wrong. Then there's the, the pleasure lie that Balaam did. You know, Balaam's lie was this. Go ahead and indulge yourself. Who will know? You know who will know? You'll know. You're the toughest person you have to deal with. You'll know. Balaam's lie was that. You know, just live. You know, we're living in a world that, you know, you know, you'll hear people say, well, you know, God just wants you to be happy. You know, I think God wants you to be holy. You know, I think that's more important. God wants you to be holy. 
And then their personality life was dealing with the false leader there in the Nicolaitans and all. And so this was what we dealt with last week, respecting uh, the authority of God's word, uh, recognizing the danger of a lie. And what's interesting in all these situations, they're all working, involved with the area of relationship. And, and, and let me tell you something, we need to be really careful who we hang around with because who we hang around with is how we're going to be. You know, why, why does the book of Proverbs says, make sure you're friends? Because who you're with, will unbelievably affect what you say, what you do, how you act. Now, today, verse 16. Here's, what, here's the third thing that we do to help clear up the confusion. Repent, or else I, I like that. Repent or else. Don't you like that? That's pretty clear. You know, you do this or else. You know, this is what he's saying. Repent or else. I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What he's telling us here, we need to repent of the sin of encouraging false teaching. You know, you may be sitting out there this morning saying, you probably think, well, you don't, you don't have to worry about that one. That doesn't affect you. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you're still there, turn to Titus chapter 3. There's a couple of scriptures I want to share with you when it comes to this area of the sin of encouraging false teaching, and what is that, and how do we do that? Well, 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 5, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, doctrine of what we believe, which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doubting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envying and strife and railing and evil surmising, perverting, disputing among men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godless, for such withdraw thyself. And we see here uh, the motivating factor in false teachers is pride fear of telling the truth justification uh, they spend time arguing always trying to prove themselves right uh, you know there's some folks that are that way they just like to argue have you ever been around people like that they just it's in their dna they they want to argue they want to fight they they want to fuss they want to fume you know and you meet some people that's kind of an emotional need for them and when you understand uh, the motivation of false teachers, you understand what God is saying here in Titus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Such an important scripture. I guess actually all scripture is important in it. <laughs> but okay. But here's a good one, though. Titus, well, they're all good, too. Man, quit saying that. Okay, Titus 3, 9 and 10. But avoid questions and genealogies and contentions and strife about the law they are unprofitable and vain a man that is a heretic after first and second admonition rejected what the bible is making very clear is what we're supposed to how do we deal with people how do we in, uh, enable false teachers one of the ways we enable a false teacher is that we argue with them you know this is going to be hard for you to believe but through the years i have argued with people i know it's hard for you to believe that but i've done some of that you know I heard this saying one time, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. You know, I may have possibly won an argument, but I didn't change them. I, I've never found an argument changing somebody else. When, when you're arguing someone, you're pushing against them and all. And, and never, you know what changes them? Grace and love and mercy. You know, being there at the right time to be able to share with them when things are going difficult for them, being there and caring for them, uh, that's what changes people. Uh, not trying to beat them over the head, but by loving and caring and being patient with them. And he's talking about this, you know, don't argue with people. 
You win them through love and grace. Now, the second thing he's talking about is that when you're dealing with someone that's contentious, divisive, maybe you know people like that. There's some folks that kind of brighten the room and they leave it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just so contentious and so argumentative all the time. And so how do, how do we deal with that? What are we supposed to do? And, of course, don't argue with them. So what do we do? Well, we encourage them. You know, we, uh, you know, we talk to them about, you know, you don't, don't be this way. Don't, don't be argumentative. Don't be divisive. The Bible says we talk to them once, we talk to them twice, and then we don't have anything to do with them. Now, I know a lot of folks, it scares them to death to confront someone that's being divisive, causing division. Not many folks want to do that. Many, many folks want to go to the third option, just leave them alone. <laughs> but the reality, you know, here's the deal, guys. The reality is this. You know, a lot of times when you deal with people that are contentious, divisive, the problem is no one has ever confronted them. And maybe if you would confront them, you might be able to change their eternity. You know, it's, have you ever written somebody off? Say, I'm done with that person. That person is beyond. I believe probably if you'd have been back in biblical times, they probably would have written Paul off. Paul would have been a difficult person because he was so, he was so contentious and he, he threw people into, into prison and he was one of the guys that was holding the garments when you know, Stephen got stoned and all that kind of stuff. So you know, he'd have been a difficult time. And maybe, maybe there, that's, that's happened to you this morning. There, there's someone in your life that's contentious and, and divisive and, and they're so aggravating you. That, so what you've done, you've simply written them off without even giving them a chance. You haven't gone to them. You, you haven't tried to warn them, tried to encourage them. You say, well, why do it? It won't work. Have you tried? How do you know? You know what you're missing? It's the Holy Spirit that works in people's hearts. It's not our ability to talk to people. It's not our gift of gab. It's not our, it's not our you know, way with words that we're able to change people's lives. God changes people's lives. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts people. We need to wake up to that fact. We need not to ignore the contentious and the folks that are divisive. We need to go to them. We need to reach out to them and try to reach them. We can change them for eternity. That's what the Bible says that we're supposed to be doing. Now, I want to tell you something. When you talk to someone, one or two things are going to happen when you confront somebody. One, they're going to sit there and take it. That may happen. You know, have you ever been, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever said the right thing at the right time? Maybe not. I don't know. It's good when you do it. It probably happened to you once or twice, hadn't it? You know, you actually said the right thing at the right time. Who would think that would happen? You know, you're sitting there going, wowzer. Man, I can't, you know, it just kind of, it worked, didn't it? It worked. Well, let me tell you something. You may be at the right place at the right time and confronting that divisive, argumentative person, and they're ready for someone to talk to. What a terrible thing if you, when you go to, when we leave this life for eternity, and that was brought to our attention, why didn't you talk to so-and-so? Now, if you talk to someone, they may push against you. They may, you, you may talk to them, and they may push. What you need to pray, God, help me not to push back because they're expecting that you to do that, aren't they? Uh, they're expecting because they're contentious, you're going to be contentious because they strike out, you're going to strike out. And you know how you stop an argument? Stop! <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, one of the, one of the great lessons in relationships you know, if there's contention, you need to, someone has got to stop the insanity. Someone's got to say, 
no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to get into that situation at all. And what happens is, is that uh, that as they push, you're dealing with a divisive person, and you deal with the situation, and they're very critical back to you. They're expecting you to to answer back, but if you don't answer back, that program's done. And what you're able to do is to turn them over to the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean that in a hopeful way. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, man, He knows what He's doing. And so we need to we need to do that. We need to realize that when you're dealing with people like that, that you need to you need to share with them the things of God. You need to warn them, love them, and then put it in the Holy Spirit's hands. You know, when confusion comes into our life, I think it's important that we try to get rid of it. We know the way we do it is we need to respect the word of God. We need to recognize the danger of a lie. We need to repent of the sin of encouraging false teachers. And this last thing is something that we need to spend more time doing. The Bible says in verse 17, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcome will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and the stone a new name written. Very important, that phrase there where no man knoweth save he that received it. The thing, we, we need to rejoice in our relationship with Christ. You see it? We need to rejoice in our relationship with the, with the Lord. We, we need to rejoice. We need to be happy about what the Lord has done in our hearts and lives and rejoice about that. We spend so, many time, so much time griping and complaining. We spend so much time, woe is me and what's going to happen. We need to spend time rejoicing in who we are in Christ and the relationship that we have with the Lord. Now, he talks about the hidden manna. This hidden manna here, verse 17, is Jesus. He is the bread of life. Jesus can solve every problem, meet every need in our life, and we need to rejoice in that fact. This is something he does. You're sitting here this morning with some needs. God is a God of supply. Amen? He supplies. He desires to supply. That's what he's talking about here, this hidden manna. The second thing, he's talking about the white stone. You know what the white stone, you know, the, you know what the explanation of the white stone is? What he's talking about here? I don't have a clue. I don't know what he's talking I mean, I, I've, I've spent time reading about this. I'm finding most folks don't have a clue about the white stone, what he's talking about here. Uh, I know uh, the white stones were used for back in days of, of juries and trials. Uh, there was a, you know, a bucket where the votes went in. If, a white, if the judge put a white stone in that bucket, it was an acquittal. That's one of the uses for the white stone. White stones were used for, uh, uh, on, on the breastplate of the priest. There were white stones there. And so, but I don't really, that's, this is all, this is just guessing on my part and probably most people's part. But what I think we miss here is the most important thing. There's a name written on that stone. Uh, and I think what we're, what we're understanding here, this name is a name just between him and that person. Speaking of the closeness. God desires to have a close relationship with you. What a tremendous thing to understand that the God of this universe, the creator of all, desires to have a relationship with us. And this intimacy that we're talking about here, this, uh, this, this name on this stone, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's dealing with. That the God this morning, what an exciting thing to be able to tell you that God, the creator of the universe, wants to have a relationship with you, a, a very everyday, life-changing relationship. I don't know about you, that would be exciting for us. But you, it won't be unless you learn to rejoice. Now, we close out here. Pergamos, like a lot of these churches in that area, but particularly Pergamos, uh, were worshipers of Caesar. 
The temple of Caesar was all over Pergamos. There were several temples in Pergamos that Caesar was worshipped. And their responsibility was to go to the temple, take a pinch of incense, and put it on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. Because that's what they believed, that Caesar is Lord. This was a very common practice. And it could happen to you anytime. You could be walking down the street and someone would grab a hold of you and take you in the temple. You had a responsibility to take a pinch of that incense, put it on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, get a hold of me here. What if that happened to you? They took you, someone, you were walking down the street and took you in the temple and you were expected, if you wanted to live, to do that. You've got to understand what the price was going to be. If you wanted to live, you had to go in the temple, you had to take that incense and put it on the uh, altar and say, Caesar is Lord. So what would you do? You've got to realize what's happening here. It could be your life. It could be your family. Uh, you know, you could say, well, I could do it, but I don't really mean it. Uh, uh, you know, I could do this, and I could simply just, you know, do that, and, and hey, hey, I could put the incense on the altar and say, Caesar is the Lord, but I have my fingers crossed. Yeah. But here's the deal, guys. When you move down that road, this is the lesson. It's called compromise. And when you start down the road of compromise, you'd be amazed at the direction you're getting ready to go. The lesson of Pergamus Church is to be careful with compromise. Because once you start compromise, compromising, there's no place to stop. Where do you stop? It's like lying. If you start lying, where do you stop? There is no stopping place. You may be here this morning and, and you're confused. Maybe you're confused about your relationship, confused with your children. Uh, I'm not sure what the, maybe you're confused about eternity. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you the key to this, we need to respect the authority of God's word. You need to have a standard by which you're going to judge everything you do by one situation, and that's the word of God. Uh, I, if you're not reading the word of God every day, Shame on you. <laughs> what a hypocrisy that is. To say you believe God and you believe the Bible, but you don't even read it. Let me challenge you to start reading the book of, Rev book of uh, Proverbs. This is the 19th of June. Start reading. Why don't you read the 19th chapter of Proverbs? Next, next tomorrow's Monday, the 20th. Read the 20th chapter of Proverbs. Start reading the book of Proverbs a chapter a day. Whatever corresponds, you make sure you know where you're going. Whatever the day is, read the book of Proverbs. It, it'll absolutely change your life if you get into the Word of God and start respecting. You know what, what people generally respect is what they do. You need to respect the Word of God. You need to recognize the danger of lies. There's no such thing as little white lies. Be careful be, being deceived. Uh, repent of the sin of encouraging false leaders. You know, don't, you know, arguing is not the answer. And then last of all, you need to rejoice in your relationship with Christ. I'm telling you guys, God wants us to rejoice. See, a thankful heart is a happy heart. Thanksgiving. We need to be thankful and grateful for the things that God is doing, has done, will do in our lives. We need to re be Christians of rejoicing. Uh, it doesn't rejoicing doesn't mean that we don't have problems and rejoicing doesn't mean we're ignoring our problems and rejoicing doesn't mean that we're going to act like there is no problems rejoicing means 
I've just decided it's going to follow Jesus. Just going to rejoice in a world that is going crazy. I mean, uh, this is a confusing world that we're living in. If you're looking for things to work out in this world in order for you to be happy, you will never be happy. Crazy, crazy world we're living in. We can be happy in spite of the problems. Now that, that is what godliness is. And so this morning, I encourage you, you may have walked in this